to Getaway Day. This is episode 66. I am Mason. He is Gautham. And we are here, as always, to talk some baseball. Um, so this was 4th of July weekend this weekend. So, Gowie, you had the the extra day of the weekend. How'd you use it? Did you watch baseball? Did you do something else? What'd you do? Uh, yeah, I watched baseball on, on, on the day off on Monday. Uh, little uh, porch time. Uh, pretty good weather and, uh, you know, enjoying some adult beverages and it was a good time. Good deal. Good. Wait, good weather. Um, describe what that means to me <laughs> because I did not have that. Tuesday was the opposite of, of uh, nice weather. It was a uh, very hot, like hundred degree hot and muggy. So, yep. Checks out. That's exactly what we've been having. And on uh, Monday, it was actually pouring down rain in Milwaukee um i i did go to the game on uh on monday uh did not stay long unfortunately um i was dealing with heartburn basically the entire weekend i thought you know what i'm gonna tough it out i'm gonna go to the game i've already paid my t- or paid my money got my tickets whatever it was great until about the second inning took a single bite of a hot dog admittedly it had a lot of cheese on it but it set off the heartburn like crazy I, I had to leave by the fifth inning. It was bad. And I think that was a game that I probably didn't want to miss. Am I right? Yeah, it was. It had some good moments at the end. Uh, say Suzuki had an inside the park home run. Victor Caratini had the walk-off home run. So I would like to point out, I would not have been able to see the Seiya in the park home run no matter what, because my seats, I could not see anything past about mid-left field in the outfield. I could see all of the infield, and I could see just this little tunnel going to the infield, and that's it. So You could have seen him running the bases. That was, that was a I could have, but I would have been very confused. Why is he not stopping? Yeah, like, where's the ball at? It, I would have gone full-on Wendy's commercial. I would have just screamed, where's the ball? And yeah, as then one does some, at the baseball game. And then some guy named uh, like Tony McDonald, a knockoff of Ronald McDonald, would have yelled, Sir, this is a McDonald's. And then it would have been real awkward. So, you know, whatever. But yeah, so uh, that was one half of my weekend. The other half of my weekend is I actually went to a minor league game. Uh, so I went up to the Beloit. Uh, now it's the Beloit Skycarp. Um, they're a... Uh, high A affiliate of the Miami Marlins. They used to be um, the Beloit Snappers as as recently as last year, uh, which was their second year in the Marlins organization. So they rebranded to try and be fish themed. But a sky carp is actually a Canadian goose. So I have a really interesting looking hat. I will wear it on stream someday whenever the lighting isn't to the point where I just look dark. Um, but yeah, so that was fun. Uh, you got it was to see actually the prospects. It was the Cubs prospects. I got to see uh, Johendrick Pinango, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, Owen Casey. Owen Casey. Thank you. Uh, there was one more, I thought. And then the starting pitcher, oh. DJ Hurts. So. Yeah, and there were, there were two guys who were on the roster but did not play in the game, uh, which was Ed Howard. Who is he hurt? He's out for the season, yeah. Okay, and then um, uh, Jordan Wogu. So they were all on that team. That is that South Bend Cubs team is low key stacked with really good prospects. Um, and then uh, Beloit is not without their own really good prospects. I mean, I think I got to see four of the top 30s on the Marlins. 
let me get it pulled back up by team because I can't remember exactly who or where they were. But I got to see. Um, so Dax Fulton did not pitch in that game. Uh, the pitcher was actually Evan Fitter, the 18 prospect. Uh, Dax, uh, who had pitched, I think, a couple days before, a couple, um, is the number eight. I got to see Victor Mesa Jr., the 13. Cody Morissette, the 15. Uh, Nassim Nunez, the 17. Um, I think there might be one more. But yeah, th- it was it was a lot of really good prospects at low-level baseball. And I, I, I want to ask you this question, because I have my opinion, but I want to hear your opinion. So you're close enough that you've seen a couple of Cedar Rapids Cardinals games. Hi, A. Right? How would you describe the entertainment factor of a high A game versus a minor, uh, major league game? Like, like, what's the main difference, in your opinion, other than the talent level? Yeah, beyond that, I think the main thing is uh, there's a lot more fun distracting other things at minor league games, I feel like, which is part of the experience, which, which is fun. Yes. That is exactly what I'm thinking. But the key thing for a nerd like you and me is it distracts you from what's on the field. Like, so you're I was saying that paying, like in a bad way? Uh, for a nerd, yes. Yeah. Like for most people, it's a phenomenal experience. Absolutely love it. I enjoy it a lot. But I also was trying to pay attention to the product on the field. <laughs> a little too distracted. And I, I couldn't focus on either because I was so hell bent on focusing on both. And apparently you missed the uh, catch of the year by Pete Crow Armstrong. I missed the catch of the year by Pete Crow Armstrong. I heard people talking about it, but I was looking at Poopsie the Goose, (laughs) uh, who was his name was unveiled the night before. Wow. His name is Poopsie. He's a Canadian (laughs) goose. It was fantastic. Um, But yeah, no, it was a really fun game, but it's just so hard to focus. I, I also I see squirrels all the time, so that's just part of my brain. But I just kind of wanted your feedback there because it was kind of the the thing that I noticed and was talking with my family who don't really like baseball all that much. They like it because I like it and they like how much joy it brings me. But they couldn't really care less about the product on the field unless there's something that's like really super unique that they've never seen. And they're like, wow, that was cool. So it, it was a fun experience. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, highly suggest it. We'll have to go to a Beloit Skycarp game sometime. Um, all right, so that's uh, quite a bit of uh, intro that uh, before we get into this week in baseball. So what do you say we get straight into this week in baseball and then into our main topic, which is talking about guys on, I don't want to say bad teams, because a couple of these teams are okay and actually we could see reasons for them to hold on to some of their pieces here but we're going to look at guys who could potentially be traded here at the deadline so uh all right so this week in baseball i actually have two things for the cardinals uh they happen in back-to-back days i really really try not to brag too much about the cardinals because i mean uh, half the time it's nothing that's actually that cool i just like talking about it because you know i'm me uh But the Cardinals did two things that were pretty historic in back-to-back days. Uh, On Friday, uh, Nolan Arenado in four plate appearances, and Gowie, you can make the argument, and I'll let you here in a minute, can make the argument that maybe the fourth plate appearance was misscored. But 
Nolan Arenado was credited with a cycle. He hit a triple in the first inning. He hit a home run in the third inning. Uh, he hit a double in, I think, the sixth. And then in the it's either the eighth or the ninth, I think it was maybe the ninth, he hit the single. And so in four plate appearances, he completed a cycle, which was, I believe, the 59th time. I, I tweeted about it the other day. I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I believe it was the 59th time in maybe 290-something cycles that it, that had happened. So, Yeah, uh, awesome for Arenado. The most impressive part is that he actually hit a triple, right? I don't know yeah. how many of those. Well, I mean, he probably had a bunch in Colorado, but he's not a burner exactly. So the fact that he was able to make it to third is pretty good. Um, the only thing I'll say about the single is that I contend that if that – same play had happened in the first inning. It easily would have been ruled an error. There was a really pretty poor play by the third baseman. Really bad throw as well. So um, now, I mean, I, whatever. I, I've tried yeah. looking at it, um, so I can't really discredit anything Gotham's saying here because uh, I've tried to look at the uh, highlights. Every single highlight fails to show Alec Bohm actually making the catch. I don't think and it was so, Alec Bohm. I think it was someone else. Oh, was it not Alec Bohm? Yeah, well, that's how that's how hard it is to tell what happened, because I didn't even know who it was. I just assumed it was third baseman Alec Bohm. But supposedly it was a backhanded play that because of his positioning was incredibly difficult to make. I listened to it on the radio because I was on my way to Wisconsin, so I didn't actually get to watch the game live. But looking back, it does look kind of suspect. Arenado's not fast, so like you can recover from a misplay and still get the out. So unless you make two errors, which this one was about 30 feet above the first, excuse me, the first baseman's head. The chances of something on the catch being difficult, being scored an error is pretty or being scored a hit is pretty minimal, honestly, but still a fantastic feat. He definitely like deserves some recognition there, even just from the triple home run and double. Even if he didn't get the single, that is a fantastic day. Yep. So for sure. And then the other bit that I wanted to mention is he not only completed a cycle in four at bats, the very next at bat he had in the next day was a two run home run that scored him and Paul Goldschmidt after a Goldschmidt single. But the cool part isn't even that. It's the fact that immediately after he hit the home run, Nolan Gorman comes up. What does he do? He hits a home run. Juan Yepes comes up. What does he do? He hits a home run. Dylan Carlson, what does he do? He hits a fourth home run. So in back-to-back days, the Cardinals had a cycle for the 295th time in history, uh, the 59th cycle in only four plate appearances, uh, and then the following day in the first inning hit back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs. (laughs) In uh, the last time that there was back to back to back to back home runs, and I kind of think this might be crap because uh, when I say this, so correct me if I'm wrong because I think I know the game that might have done this, but it was the White Sox against the Cardinals hit back to back to back to back in like 2015. But I kind of remember a couple of years ago the Nationals did a s- that, didn't they? Because I thought Gerardo oh, Parra and a couple of, and like Howie Kendrick and yeah, some weird guys. Right, I, yeah. I thought they did it too. Yeah. So, or it was who was it? Kyle Gibson. Really a rough day for him. 
Yeah, and Kyle Gibson had been really solid this year. So kind of surprising that he gave up that many home runs in a row. And watching him back, like the first two were not like cheap home runs at all. Like he didn't hang the pitch. They just they got down it. It, it was a dot and they just got below it and uh, line drived it out of the park. Then he hung one. And then after you gave up three, then you kind of lose your confidence. And he had another one that wasn't really a, a hung pitch per se. Like it wasn't middle middle, but it was definitely not where he wanted that ball to be. Um, gave up the fourth home run. But so that was cool. So now that I've gone on my Cardinals rant for a long time, what else happened this week in baseball? Uh, yeah, a couple really good pitching performances. One really very surprising, and that was Chad Cool. We don't give the Rockies hardly any credit at all on this we, show. No, we don't. It's not we don't give them hardly any credit. Is we don't give them any credit. Period. Okay. I hate so them. this we're gonna give them some hardly credit now. Okay. Um, good. I can't give them full credit. Chad Cool pitched a complete game shutout at home against the Dodgers. That is uh, amazing. Like all of those Wait, things combined. What, what Field, day was this? The Los Angeles Dodgers. It was Monday. It was last Monday. Okay. What, um, I think it was. I don't remember when it was actually. But uh, so. Yeah, I definitely did not hear anything about that game. I'm learning this for the first time now, and uh, I'm kind of shook. Yeah, so it was on uh, June 27th. Yep, he just gave up three hits. He had five strikeouts. He didn't walk any batters. Um, And that was the first complete game of his entire career. And that was apparently one of his big goals uh, for his career, to, to actually get a complete game. So he's able to do it, and with the Rockies, so... I mean, pretty cool. Okay, so let me let me look up Chad Cool's stats here before I say anything. Uh, but He's having an okay season. That's what I wanted to look up for Coors Field. I mean, three eighty three ERA, not a great WHIP, one thirty two, but uh, you know, could be worse. Yeah, could definitely be worse. And uh, honestly, a three eighty three playing in Coors half the time is pretty solid. Yeah, it's fine. I actually don't mind that. I'm curious what his home road splits are. But could we consider him another one of those? Um, yeah, so he's a 327 at home and a 439 away. That doesn't make any sense. That's backwards. Okay. Interesting. Um, I need to look more into this. Could we consider him another one of those guys that got better when he left Pittsburgh? Or is it still way too early to tell? Or is he just one of those really fluky guys that's going to have like one good game, period? I mean, it's hard to tell because he's always been somewhat talented. Like he showed some flashes when he was on the Pirates that he could be good. And didn't we talked about him earlier this season as being kind of like a nice fit based on the pitches that he uses for Coors Field. So yeah, because he's a sinker baller. He's he's a guy that throws a lot of straight doesn't have a whole lot of break in his pitches and still is able to get some results out of it so it'll translate to Coors better than anything else as far as being the same yeah so So, I I'd say they did a good job picking up that cool it's working out agreed but we wouldn't necessarily throw him in there with that Jameson Tyone Garrett Cole 
these guys who were good and then got way better when they left. Yeah, I think that's just a completely Joe different Musgrove. talent level. Yeah, those guys were all way better talents. Yeah. So. Cool. And then I think you had one more pitching um, performance you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So Sandy Alcantara, he just continues to dominate every time he's out there. And it's kind of getting ridiculous. Now, his last start was against the Angels. He pitched eight innings, gave up just two uh, hits, and struck out 10. Um, and now he's pitched um, 11 straight games where he's gone at least seven innings. The last time he didn't go at least seven was May 6th, uh, where he just went four and two-thirds. But ever since then, it's been seven, eight, nine, eight, seven, nine, seven and two-thirds, eight, seven, nine, eight, eight. It's, um, yeah. He's been unstoppable to this point in the season. Uh, the season-long numbers, he's, he's down to a 182 ERA, 0.91 whip. He's not a huge strikeout guy, but when he's pitching that many innings, it, it hardly matters. And now he leads the major leagues in innings pitch with 123. The next guy on the list is Robbie Ray, who's pitched 104 in a third innings. Yeah, so that's actually something uh, exactly what I was about to say. But um, it is basically the innings pitched. He might be. I don't want to say he might be. I don't care what War says. I think Sandy Alcon- or Alcantara has been the most valuable pitcher in the majors this year. Kevin Gosman technically has a higher war. Um, he has a or Kevin Gosman has 3.7 war in 88 innings with a 2.86 ERA and a 1.68 FIP, and his expecteds are both way higher than those numbers. Sandy has 3.4 war in 123 innings with a 1.82 ERA, a 2.86 FIP, so considerably higher than Gosman's. Um, but the diff well i guess the difference between their their actuals and their expecteds are about the same but i think i would almost rather take what is that 35 more innings with a era of 1 lower oh yeah no doubt about like, it it's it's hard to argue against what sandy's done and and especially for his team where I mean, when he's giving so many innings, he's basically saving the bullpen for the rest of the week every time he pitches. Yeah, 100%. And he's done this in 17 games. I'm I'm just curious. It it shouldn't be a difficult calculation, but I can't do it off the top of my head. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you just say... He's pitching on average seven and a third innings for the entire 17 games. And he's had a dud here and there. Like, they were a long time ago. Just imagine if he actually reaches like close to 240, 250 innings pitched. That's just going to stick out in the record books in this era of baseball where we barely had any 200 I mean, inning pitchers these dude, days. 120 innings kind of already stands out in the record books for recent years. Yeah, but he's got to keep it up for the whole season. I mean, if he if he eclipses 160, that's kind of a high innings guy in today's day or day and age in baseball. Yeah. And, like yeah. there, I we looked at it last week or two weeks ago. There were what four or five guys that eclipsed 200 innings last year total. Yep, yep. And he's four. on pace for let's say you get what 33 starts. Yeah, 
So he's got basically another 16 starts. You got 112 more innings. Like Yeah, so it's, it's real close to 240, so that's a lot of innings. Yeah. That's nuts. And he's doing it without really striking out all that many people. Right, yeah. Which is weird because his fastball is like 98 on average. He's never really missed too many bats, but I think, I mean, he gets so many ground balls and he just, maybe that's what keeps him in game so long. He's just able to get he's that. He's efficient because contact. he gets the, he's, is he's he a sinker baller? Yeah. That explains it. So, so basically, I mean, I can make the argument that Corbin Burns is better than Sandy, but Corbin Burns is not going out there and pitching nine every, he, he pitches like six or seven because He's striking out so many batters. He's not able to be as efficient as Sandy. Okay, so I'm going to take Burns back out of the question, and I'm going to throw a new pitcher at you, and I want you to tell me which one you would rather have in your rotation today. And I feel like this is going to be a really tough one. Sandy or Sugar Shane McClanahan? Oh, man, that's a Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough one. Um, McClanahan's a lot like Burns. He's a big strikeout guy. Um, yeah, I would, I would have to say I would go with Sandy right now. There's no one I'd rather have. Yeah. Cause the, the thing that made the, um, well, I guess no Burns Burns does technically have two thirds of an inning more, uh, or no a full inning more. I was going to say, I, I thought McClanahan had a couple more innings and it made it a little bit closer of a comp, but no, there's really nobody that comes close to Sandy. Everyone else is kind of sitting there at that 98 to 103, and then Robbie Ray at one or well, 98 Corbin, to 101. Corbin Nolan Burns Robbie did pitch, Ray. Uh, seven shutout innings today, so you can add to that total. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, and that actually brings him up to 17 games started, so he's at 106 through 17 games well. compared to Sandy's 123 through 17 games. So that makes it a a bit fairer of a comp. Um, interesting. I kind of want to talk more. Ooh, Sandy's homer or homers per nine is 0.44, which seems really low. His homers per fly ball ratio is 6.3. What is, uh, is that sustainable? He's been doing it for a while. He's always been a guy that's been able to limit the home runs. Plus he pitches in a really good ballpark for that. He is the fourth lowest. Yeah. The the guys that have a, a better homer per fly ball ratio are uh, Kevin Gosman, Carlos Rodon, and then a guy that we actually talked about, I think, last week, maybe, or two weeks ago, is a guy who cannot sustain what he's been doing uh, as far as home runs and Martin Perez. Oh, so like, yeah. It's really low. There's a lot of guys that are around that 9%, so I suppose at 6%, it's not too deflated. Right, but but at but the end of is, the day, you don't expect anyone, no matter how good they are, to have a 182 ERA other than like Jacob deGrom. Correct. So, so, so we might see some correction in the second half, but I'm sure yeah, it'll still and be I, good. I, that, that's really my only point there is like, there's going to be some correction, but this guy is so good that... I don't think that correction is really going to change a whole lot other than maybe take his av- or his ERA up to like a two five yeah, by the end of the year. But 
All right. So anything else in this week in baseball or do we want to talk trade pieces? Let's talk trades. We're just a month away from the, the trade deadline, actually. Uh, August 3rd, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so we got not very much time here at uh, four, weeks, four weeks to be exact. No, yeah. it's exactly four weeks. I think it's Tuesday of the week. Oh, is it the second? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so there are quite a few teams that are not necessarily 100% out of it, but chances are they're out of it. Most of and the teams we're going to talk about are, are basically out of it. That's awkward my audio started playing here on the background uh, but yeah so most of the teams we're going to talk about are out of it so um these are teams that are i think all under all well under 500 right uh, yeah i think they all are diamondbacks are kind of close closest to 500 of all these teams yeah okay so yeah that's that's the thing that i wanted to check just to make sure i wasn't misspeaking so uh, the Diamondbacks are the closest to 500, but they're still 14 and a half games out of the division and they're six games out of the wild card as it stands today. Uh, it's a division that has two, well, one really, really, really good team. One really good team that's missing its superstar who might be back at some point in the Padres, the Giants who are still decent, but not amazing. Oh, that's another uh, this week in baseball. David VR. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I, I I totally just I forgot about that and I don't know how. So um, David VR uh, prospects for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he just made his debut on uh, Monday on the 4th of July. Um, he actually went two for four with a double on the very first pitch that he saw and then a single uh, later in the game. Uh, he's actually the brother of a very good friend of mine. So getting to kind of see him finally get the call and talking with her and just kind of that experience was really freaking cool. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there when I realized I forgot about it. So, um, yeah, so, but Arizona is basically out of it because of those three teams. Like if, if the giants take off, there's no chance that Arizona is going to have any chance at clinching a spot. And that's assuming San Francisco can clinch a spot. So let's let's start in the American League with some of these teams. And who do you see as being available from the Baltimore Orioles? Because the Orioles are still definitely a rebuilding team. They're playing way better this year. Actually, they might have a better record. Yeah, they actually have a better record than Arizona. Um, at 38 and 44, a 463 win percentage, but that division has four teams that are currently in playoff spots, like not even just in contention, like they have the spots, which means there's no room for Baltimore period. Um, so what's Baltimore going to do? Are they going to trade anybody? If they do, who's available? Like what do we got going on here? So before I get to who is definitely available, I'll just mention the guys that I think we've mentioned a little bit in the past guys like Cedric Mullins. um, Who else? Um, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes or Ryan Mountcastle. They don't need to trade any of those guys because they've got them for years of control and they're getting better. Like you're saying. So it kind of makes sense to just 
hang on to them for right now and, and, and see if those can be sort of the, the blocks of your team. But as far as the guys that they will probably trade, I think it starts with Trey Mancini, who's at the end of his uh, time with Baltimore, and he's having a good season. Um, I think a lot of teams could use that kind of right-handed bat, even if he's just a kind of part-time player. Uh, he should be. He should come pretty cheap to any team, and, and the Orioles will get some prospect out of it. Yeah, and the nice thing with Trey Mancini is his his pop isn't really he's not the thirty five homer guy that he was back in twenty nineteen. Um, he's got eight home runs currently, but he's still hitting two eighty three fifty seven four twenty eight um, with a pretty good um, walk rate and a pretty low ish strikeout rate, and so he's still a good uh, good hitter to have in your team. Um, is a platoon guy, whatever. Um, but the interesting thing with him is if he gets traded to a team that he likes, he has a mutual option for $10 million for next year, which is not a bad deal for a guy of his skill. There's so, no mutual option that ever gets picked up though. There's no mutual option that ever gets picked up, but if you can convince him to take it, uh, he's getting paid seven and a half million this year. It's going to be prorated to half that because we're halfway through the season, actually a little more than that now. So like, I feel like teams would be dumb not to trade for Trey Mancini right now. If they're missing a guy who could play first or DH and just be healthy. And like, and that's the main problem. Why the mutual option is not going to get picked up because guys like this, you can kind of find in many places. They're not, they're pretty easily replaceable. And well, and Mancini can play the outfield. He can, but he hasn't in a while now. So he's played 11 games in the outfield this year, which is not a lot, but as recently as last year, he had played like 30 or something, didn't he? Like, it, he's one of those guys that could definitely, uh, let's see. So, no, he actually has not played the outfield except those 11 games uh, since 2019. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but in a pinch, you could play him there if you needed to. So does provide a little bit more versatility. It's corner outfield, so like how much more versatile that makes him? Not a ton. But definitely an interesting move for a 30-year-old guy. Um, final year of his deal. I feel like a, a contending team would be smart to pick him up, even if it's for a platoon or a bench bat. Yep. Um, and so. then I'll add two pitchers that they could probably trade. One's Jordan Lyles, like he's doing what he usually does, which is not be that great, but he's the kind of guy that typically gets moved. Some team is looking for a number five starter to help them out, just give him a little depth. Um, and then Jorge Lopez, who became a reliever this year, and he's been dominant uh, in 38 innings. He's got a 188 ERA, and that's after he gave up three runs this week. So, um He's been awesome, and why not? You've got to trade your relievers all you can. I was going to say, Jorge Lopez did not give up a run in the month of June, did he? Uh, I don't know about that, but yeah, that sounds about right because his ERA was under one for the longest yeah, I, time. I think, I think that he didn't give uh, – I'll, I'll check the splits, but I think he went an entire month without giving up a run. Uh, yeah, zero earned runs, one run total. He's actually given up more earned runs this month than he's given up the rest of the year. 
Yeah, it was we're three games back to back to back where he gave up a home run in each of them. So, yeah. So the interesting thing with his him is he does have what two more years of control after this year. Yeah, but he's a twenty nine year old reliever. I don't think it matters. You got to trade him. Yeah, that's fair. But I do always like to point that out because sometimes that does actually play into it, but not typically with a reliever. So. Uh, of his age. Um, all right. So got anything else on the Orioles? Uh, nope. I don't think so. All right. So the next team we got, we're going over to the central where we've got two teams, but the first one is the Detroit Tigers. And, and the guy that kind of stands out to me is being the obvious trade piece is Michael Fulmer. Uh, uh, he was a starter for a, a long time, became a reliever last year. Um, he's been a reliever uh, up to this point this year. In 30 innings, he's been pitching to a 210 ERA, a 305 FIP, uh, strikeout rate above 25%. He does walk a decent number of people, uh, but he's been a pretty solid reliever in what is otherwise a dismal Detroit Tigers team. Yeah, that's the main point. They don't have a whole lot because the guys that if they were playing closer to their career levels, they might bring some value, but they've all been playing so bad. So I'm thinking like Jonathan Scope or Tucker Barnhart, Jamer Candelario. Those guys would be the guys I would think of as the trade chips, but they've been all terrible this year. So I don't think they're going to get much. I mean, maybe you can convince a team to take um, one of those guys, but I, I, don't see yeah, the return being a whole lot. But if you have to convince someone to take someone, you're not getting anything back of value. Right. And this is a team that with these guys, it's almost better to eat their salary for the rest of the year because a lot of these guys aren't employed past this year. I mean, Jonathan Scope can opt out after this year. He won't um, based on how <laughs> they he's just playing. signed up the extension last year, I think. Uh, so it was a two year, $15 million extension that he can opt out after year one. Um, but he won't opt out, but Tucker Barnhart is a free agent after this year. Michael Pineda is a free agent after this year. Robbie Grossman, who they signed a two year deal last year and has been really bad is a free agent after this year. Willie Peralta is a free agent after this year. So like a lot of these guys, if there's no, if you're not getting anything back, it's almost better to eat the salary than almost than give up another piece for someone to take them. So yeah. it kind of leaves Fulmer's being like the only viable trade piece. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, yeah, Fulmer will definitely be pitching for someone else on August 3rd. I don't know if any other Tigers will be changing homes. They're just kind of playing out the string here. They're really bad. Which is weird because they looked like they were going to be decent this year yeah. and then yeah, good was, next year. And that's kind of looking like we were completely we were wrong. wrong. Yeah, um, we were we were both very excited about the Tigers before the season. Yeah. Uh, the other team in the Central I wanted to talk about a little bit is the Kansas City Royals. And this is another team that I really only see, excuse me, I really only see one viable trade piece here. Maybe two, um, if you count Whit Merrifield, who's been really bad this year. I got one other guy for you, but we'll get to the obvious guys first. So the most obvious guy is Andrew Benatendi. This is a guy that last year, if you remember on like 
episode one, I think, of the podcast last year. Um, I was talking about how I thought Andrew Benatendi was going to be a bounce back guy. And last year, he underwhelmed big time. This year, he's finally starting to come back and bounce back. He's not hitting for power, but he does have a 313 average, 381 OBP, 398 slug. Um, He's been really solid defensively. He's put up 1.6 war while being a 125 WRC plus guy. This is closer to what I thought Ben Attendee was going to be. Still not where I thought he could be, but it's a lot closer. And this is a guy who would be valuable to a lot of teams who need hit tool. Yep. It's definitely, he has an interesting skill set because the power that he showed in those early years with Boston, that doesn't seem like it exists anymore. He really does not hit for any power. He's only got three home runs this year. Um, But making contact that, any lineup can really use that. We've seen that with like Cleveland's lineup where they don't have a whole bunch of sluggers, but they're making it work by just pushing the baton to the next guy. And that's I mean, what really, he can give you. Yeah. Cleveland is the perfect example because they've done this, this thing this year with basically three guys who have any kind of slug in their bats. And I think one of them's hurt still, or has been hurt quite a bit. And friend Mil Reyes. He's back now. He is back. Uh, but Josh Naylor, who I think he might have just got hurt. Yeah, he hurt his back a little bit. I I hope he's okay, but... Yeah. And then J-Ram. But other than that, they have zero power in that I wouldn't even call Naylor a power hitter, really. He never had any power before this year. Okay, that's fair. But this year, Naylor has been showing an insane amount of pop, where it just feels like if he comes up to bat and there's people on base and the team's down... Someone's getting head-butted. Yeah, and it's going to be Tito, and he's going to be out for a month with a concussion. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, on the Whit Merrifield uh, side of things, this guy, how do you trade him now? They missed their chance with this guy. He's having a terrible season. I think he's over the hill. He's 33. He's just not doing the things that he used to do in the past. 240 average, that's not the Whit Merrifield that we know. No, not even a little bit. The Whit Merrifield we know is like a 315 average guy. Yeah. So oh. 240, and 240 is way up from what it was after the first two months of the season. And how many years does Whit have left? Uh, next year, and then there, I believe, is a mutual option. So another year. I don't think another, maybe yeah. another team wants him, but I don't so, really So see the it. thing that I will say is next year, because the way his contract was structured uh, with an AAV of 4.6 mil, he's making 7 million this year, but he's only making 2.75 next year. So, and, and then his mutual option is for 18 million. And we know that's not getting picked up just because it's a mutual option and it won't be. Uh, but also he kind of sucks now. So why would you pay him 18 mil? Um, so I could see that really low value next year and a mutual option being enticing to people. Yeah, because like but you have to look at what he's he goes, done this year, right? Well, yes, but so but again, he was hitting like 100 for the first like month and a half of the season, and now he's up to 240. Like, yeah, but is it just he had such a dismal first month that now he's actually hitting bet? Uh. So he hit 141 in March and April. Uh, well, so April. 
I don't like that it still says March and April for 2022. It's confusing. Uh, 264 in May, 252 in June. So far this month, he's having a really good month. He's got eight hits and 23 plate appearances um, for a 421 average. So he's definitely been pulling it up. Yep. I mean, yeah, you might be right. Maybe he's he's get, he's going to get back to where he's been in the past. But I'm just looking at his his uh, just WRC plus through the years. His peak was 20, 2018 with a 119, and every year since then he's been getting worse and worse, just by a little bit. Uh, 110, 106, 91. And I mean that that checks out because 2018 the dude out. was 29. Yeah, he, he's a he's like, an old dude. Um, yeah, I just like I, I'm not. I'm not super hopeful that he's going to be much more than average for the rest of the season. Yeah. And, and I'd buy that. It does average benefit another team is maybe a different question because Whit Merrifield plays every game. He's played every single game. Actually, has he played every game this year or has he missed one? I'm not sure. Because he's only played 79 games, and I feel like Kansas City might have played one or two more than that, but they may have had a lot of cancellations. Or I'll, postponements. Uh, I'll be checking here. Okay, because what I was going to say nope, they is played he, 79. Whit Merrifield has played every single game since at least 2019. And in he many ways, that's hurt the Royals, right? He's what? given them very poor production in all those games he's played, so it's yes. not really helping the team. But his production has been getting better as the season goes along. Yeah. So they might have been smart to set him early in the season, but he's one of those guys that even if he's average, he plays every single day and has since 2019. Like he is the modern day Cal Ripken Jr., which is not saying much because it's what, 300, 400, 450 games total. It's like that's not as impressive as Cal Ripken by any means. But it's valuable. Yep. So he could very well be traded. I feel like Benatendi is still the most obvious trade piece here. Yeah, I got one more for you. That's Michael A. Taylor, who is having his best career season very quietly. He's at a 115 WRC+. plus. He plays legit center field, and teams are always looking for a center fielder. Um, so I feel like he's a guy that... I mean, he's probably never going to have a season like this again, but why not just ride the hot streak and get this guy to play center field for the rest of the season? I I like that because not only is he never going to do this again, the fact that he's doing it now is astounding because uh, Michael A. Taylor has not been above an 80 WRC plus with the exception of one season. In his entire career, one season. And it was five years ago. And it was five years ago in 2017 when he was a 104. This is the best he has ever hit. Ride the hot streak. And if you can eat the, is it eight and a, no, if you can eat the four and a half million that he's got on his contract for next year or play him next year and hope that he's decent, like he's a good defensive center fielder. If he can hit a little bit, he's still valuable. That's how defensive center fielders work. So, yeah, ride this hot streak. Trade for this guy. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize until really recently that he was actually having a good season because a lot of Royals are not. 
he's actually playing well. It's actually kind of weird that two of the outfielders are having pretty really good seasons. Is that just kind of seems like the spot where the Royals have always like struggled? It it feels like if you were to look at it from a vacuum, and we'll we'll move on pretty quick because I'm definitely taking a lot of time here, and we got like seven more teams. Um, <laughs> but in a vacuum, it seems like the guys that would be good on this team would be uh, Sal Perez for obvious reasons. Whit Merrifield, if you weren't looking at his stats right now, you'd be like, yeah, he's probably doing good. And you'd be excited about Bobby Witt Jr. and what he's doing right now. Really, none of those three things is the things that you look at when you see this Royals team. It's Andrew Benintendi. It's Michael A. Taylor. That's it. Bobby Witt's been pretty good recently, too. So, Bobby Witt has? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you cut out there, and I just heard Witt, and I'm like, which one? Yeah, we just trashed Whit Merrifield for a while. <laughs> if I if I come out saying that Whit Merrifield's good, all right. So we'll go really quick through this last one uh, in the American League, and then we'll hit the National League, where I I know we have a lot more guys to talk about, and that is the Oakland Athletics. I mean, really, they got one guy who everyone has been on. He's been on everyone's radar since the offseason, and that is Frankie Montas. And I honestly don't even know how Frankie Montas is pitching. I just well, know he's, that he's, he's not pitching. That's the problem because he actually left his last start with uh, shoulder inflammation. He's getting an uh, injection today, Ooh. Wednesday, and they have no timetable for his return. So it could be a big problem for the A's moving that this is, guy. That is not good because this guy has made every start so far this year. He's pitched 96 and two-thirds innings to 3.26 ERA, 3.3 FIP. So his, his ERA is pretty much what you would expect. He's, uh, I mean, yeah, he's a difference-making uh, starting pitcher that would be available. He's probably the best guy that would be available. And he does have another year of control. So, like, if they expect him to come back, someone still very well is probably going to trade for this guy for next year, for what little he can give you for this year. But it does make it a lot more of a limited market. Yep. On the offensive side, though, there's other guys that they could move. Like I, They could trade Sean Murphy. They could trade Ramon Laureano. Uh, maybe Tony Kemp in there as well. But none of these guys are having great seasons. They all have some control left. Would Sean uh, but, Murphy be because they have Shea Langoliers and um, uh, Soderstrom? Yes, Tyler Soderstrom. There we go. Yeah, I think so. Makes sense. Uh, it's one of those that it's like Sean Murphy's been a pretty solid catcher, so it's like you almost don't want to get rid of him until you know that you have something of like major league substance yeah. behind him. But they definitely could. I could see it. What do you think about Laureano? He hasn't really played that well since he's come back from the suspension. He's been okay, but this is not backed by anything, but he just feels like a guy that would play better on a winning team. Yeah, I can see that. He's definitely got kind of that hobby swag. And and we know how that hobby swag does actually make him play better in bigger moments in games where there's a lot of fans. He struggled in 2020. He went to New York, got more fans, and all of a sudden it seemed like he was playing better. And now he's in Detroit and he's not. <laughs> so I can see Loriano with that hobby swag. 
especially with just kind of the way he carries himself. How about the Phillies? Philly center fielder Ramon Laureano. Honestly, though, Love it, yes, right? yes, he fits that Phillies team. It, with the exception of the whole PED thing, he fits well. I'm not accusing anybody. I just feel like it would be a, a team that like I wouldn't be surprised. But the players on that team, I, I don't think any of them are doing steroids. It just feels like a Philly thing. Um, no, I could 100% see him on the Phillies. He, he kind of feels like a really good fit. They don't have a good option at center field. Mickey Moniak has been getting some starts. They've had uh, uh, some other guy that I forgot who it was, but he's also not really done anything crazy good. Yeah, it hasn't been good, whatever they've put out there. So, yeah, I, Ramon Laureano is a great fit, and he's got two more years, of th- maybe three more years of control. Three, is he right? a super two? He was a super two. He's got three more years of control. Yeah. So that's a that's a great, great point there. Let's talk to Dombrowski and get that to happen. Let's do it. Anyone else in the A's, or shall we move over to the National League? Yeah, let's go National League. All right, so we're actually going to start over in the West uh, and work our way back to the Central, and we're going to skip the East entirely. Um, The first team we got up is Arizona, and I feel like Arizona has a couple different options, but is Arizona even going to sell is the question. Like, they're way better than we thought. They still suck in a couple very specific areas, and they're not incredibly competitive. Their bullpen is bad. Period. I I can't really think of a good reliever they've got. They've got Joe Mantiply, who's he fits the same like Jorge Lopez kind of mold where he's kind of older. He's having a random really good season. You gotta trade that guy. He's that he's he's been really, really good for them. Um That's fair. But th- this team is sort of uh different than the other teams that we've talked about so far because they're definitely more competitive. They're playing a really great series against the Giants this week. Where they they're competitive kind of, in a division that is really difficult to be competitive in. Yeah. Which so, is partially why I think their record is as bad as it is, is because of the division they're in. And they've kind of got a lot of uh, young talent coming, coming through, so maybe they just hold here and uh, try to run it back with with all the prospects next year yeah but if they were to trade some guys i think the most obvious guy that they would probably trade is david peralta david peralta has uh uh, he's a free agent after this season so it makes him a really good candidate he's having a good Um, year too he's hitting 250 319 474 with 11 home runs and a 1.5 war 114 wrc plus so not elite but he's been really solid, really, really solid in left field. And so he would be a really good option for a team that just kind of needs some consistency there. Um, he could play DH. He could play left field. Uh, honestly, in my opinion, he'd be a good fit for the Phillies. Uh, to be fair, anyone who can like play the outfield at all is a good fit for the Phillies. Um, but... And that's kind of why I'm thinking this, because Castellanos and Schwarber should not be defensive outfielders. Yeah, but the, the problem is there's no getting around it, because when Bryce comes back, he's going to still have to be the DH. That's fair. 
So maybe he's not a good fit for the Phillies, but in theory, he is. Yeah. Um, but pitcher-wise, they could, if they wanted to move some guys, they could think about moving Merrill Kelly or Madison Bumgarner, who've been solid pitchers this year. Uh, I mean, the pitchers, I, the reason I say that is just because it feels like a lot of pitchers get moved at the deadline, even these like not stellar pitchers, but guys that will just eat some innings for you. Yeah, eat some innings. Those guys still have years on their contract, and you know what you're going to get paid. But from that standpoint, Merrill Kelly feels like the more obvious choice to me because the money is in the scale of eight $8 million and not 23 yeah, um, the Mad Bump thing would almost have to be some sort of salary dump where they didn't get a great return back. Yeah. Now, Zach Davies, on the other hand, feels like he could be a number five starter just to kind of eat some innings there. He's a free agent after this year with a mutual option for next year at one point five, but it's not going to be picked oh, up. Another so, guy with shoulder inflammation, I will mention. Oh, does he have shoulder inflammation issues? So maybe not, but. Yeah, it it just feels like there's really only one or two options of like good trade candidates here because this team is looking at being competitive soonish. Um and the guys that they have aren't incredibly desirable from like uh we want to pay a lot in money and prospects for 33-year-old Matt Bum or 34-year-old Merrill Kelly. So yeah. Um, all right. So Colorado, who did they have this trade worthy? We never really know what Colorado is doing and they don't really feel like they have a whole lot of chips, right? Okay. Um, so who's the best player they have on their team making the most money? Chris Bryant? Uh, yeah. I mean, trade he hasn't candidate. been a very good player. Doesn't matter. Trade candidate. Uh, they could trade CJ Crone, who they just gave an extension last year to. He's playing great, by the way, um, but they're not going to do that. That's not a Rockies thing to do. They could trade Charlie Blackman, but he's got 10 and 5 rights, so it seems unlikely he would actually get moved unless he's done with the Rockies. And then there's Herman Marquez, who we've talked about for years now as being a really good pitcher, just stuck in Colorado. Um, and he would be so much better on a different team. This year, he's been truly awful for the Rockies. So it feels like if they did trade him, they'd just be trading, selling low and, and not getting what they could have in the past, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I don't see any other candidates to get traded. That's pretty much all I got, too. Like, as far as like a player who's been playing well... Chuck's about the only one. So, yeah, they don't really have a ton of options to improve their team for the future here through trades of major league pieces. They've got some minor league pieces that if they wanted to make a big trade, they totally could. Um, They shouldn't, but they could. But for the trade deadline, that's not really something that's going to be a big factor, in my opinion. So... All right, so what do you say we go to the NL Central, and then maybe if we have time, we'll hit the East really, really quick. 
Because I know we've sure. got a lot of guys in the Central that you and I know really well that I think would be good trade pieces. So do we want to start with the Pirates or the Reds? Start with the Pirates. Because I really think there's only the main one guy that we need to talk about, and that's Brian Reynolds, uh, who is controlled through 2025. So he's got plenty of years remaining. It's just a, a question of what what direction the um, Pirates want to go with this because he's kind of turned it on in the last month. He's been really, really good again, kind of like he was all year last year. So if they did trade him, they could get a huge, huge haul. But are they yeah. going to do it? Yeah, because like he's a he's a super two guy. So he's got um, four years of ARB total. The first two have been bought out, and this year is year one of his ARB. Um, and it was at 6.75. Next year, he's another 6.75, and then he's got two years of ARB after that. So to get Brian Reynolds, you're giving up the farm. Like, he's been really good last year. He's starting to play really, really good again. He's 27 years old. He's got three more years of control through his age 30 season he's going to demand a lot. And so you've got to be a team that is looking at contending not only this year, but for the future and have the um, money slash prospect um, uh, bank account. Essentially, (laughs) you got to be able to just go and just swipe that credit card and pick up Brian Reynolds. But so would expect he stays with the team for that reason like that's a lot to ask for that guy he's incredibly good but this pirates team is also getting good a lot faster than i think we thought they were so maybe they don't want to move him and maybe as you've been listening to us talk about all these guys you might not be super inspired by all the guys we've been talking about there's not a lot of uh big impact talent like we saw moving last year where like trey turner and max scherzer got moved brian reynolds so it makes me think that um, if the pirates do this, it, they could probably, you know, start some sort of like bidding more Brian Reynolds and, and, and make out very well. So I would almost, I would almost you, think that they should do it. You know, who would and should be a good trade partner for Brian Reynolds, <laughs> the Phillies, the white Sox, <laughs> white Sox. They need a legit outfielder. Not a DH, an outfielder. They need a guy with control. They need a guy with speed. They need a guy with some power. They need a guy with some hit tool. They need a guy who's going to be playing every day. Not a guy who's going to be getting hurt. Not a DH type. They've got plenty of those. And they need some kind of stability. And I feel like Brian Reynolds could be that stability. And to be honest, he doesn't make that much money. Like... They could definitely do it. They've got the prospects. It's just, are they going to be willing to do that? Or are they going to end up trading Fernando's little brother for Brian Reynolds? Brian Reynolds suck. And then it'd be the exact, you traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields argument that we've heard time and time again. Big game, James. Big game, James. But I still think that I I do think that would be a really interesting trade uh, partnership there. So, uh, also one other guy I want to mention with the pirates, David Bednar. 
So David Bednar is what? Third, 30, 27. No, he's 27. My bad. Uh, he's, but the, the thing is he's 27, almost 28 and he's only in year two and he's a reliever. So he's got a lot of years left to control, but he's a reliever who's 28. So how much of that five years do you expect him to be really, really good? Probably not many. So that brings his, his trade value down as far as what you have to give up. And he is one of the best relievers in baseball this year, in my opinion. So interesting trade piece there. Uh, You got any other pirates you want to talk about or shall we move on since we're already at an hour? I'll just mention Jose Quintana and Dan Vogelbach. They could probably get moved for something. All right. Uh, With the Reds, is there anyone big that you want to talk about or just kind of the Reds? uh, We've been talking about Castillo and Molly since before the season. Yeah. So it's the same guys, Castillo and Mali. Uh, Castillo has been pretty good this year, actually. Uh, I think he's a guy that feels like if he got traded, he, he might be, he might turn into like a, a true ace. It would be like a Garrett Cole situation or something because um, yeah, he's always been hurt by pitching in great American ballpark. So maybe he'll, he'll get a, a boost from pitching somewhere else. Mali is actually hurt right now. So, remains to be seen and both those guys have another year of control so they might both still be reds later but i'd be surprised if castillo didn't get traded same he does have a year of control next year too so uh but the reds are not going to try and compete so they need to get as much out of him as they can right now so um all right so last team in the central is the chicago cubbies and they've got a lot of guys who are probably going to move guys uh, mostly out of the bullpen and Drew Smiley, Michael Givens, David Robertson guys. They picked up coming into this year kind of intending, I think, to trade them at the deadline and flip them to try and get some pieces. Um, but the big guys that I think we should talk about are Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ. So, yep. So Contreras, oh. if uh, he's he's very 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 likely to get traded because it's the last year of his contract. He's having a career season. He's by far the best catcher uh, on the market, and you know, plenty of teams can use a, an upgrade at catcher. Or he, he's even hitting so well that he can you know DH or play the outfield or something like that. Um. So it does make sense for the Cubs to keep him at this point in the season. Um, so, I mean, they should get back a really good return for him. Yeah. Yeah, that should be. So the one thing that kind of concerns me as far as like what the return's going to be is he's a catcher. And while it's the most one of the most valuable positions on the field because they deal with the pitchers every day, and they call the games and, and they have such a big impact on the game is that he does not know the pitchers on the team that he would be going to as well as he does the Cubs pitchers. So it would be one of those things that's kind of concerning if your intention is to use him as a catcher. Um, so, yeah, he's probably going to DH half the time or whatever, at least right off the bat while he's getting to know the pitchers. I don't know, but... I say that, and the Cardinals just had Austin Romine sign and then play the next two games. So 
maybe that's not the case, but um, definitely a, a concern there, I guess, for other teams trading for Willie. Um, will it stop them? No. Is it something that might impact what they offer for him? Maybe. Yeah. It's hard so, to say. I will mention that he is dealing with the hamstring tightness, so hopefully he's fine. Why do you keep proposing guys that are hurt? Literally everyone who we've talked about is hurt for some reason right now. Literally everyone we haven't talked about is hurt. Yeah. Have you talked to Mookie Betts or Manny Machado or Bryce they're Harper? Both back, or? Thankfully. Oh, are they? Good. Yeah. I did not see that. Um, so the last guy, Ian Happ, he's got more control than anybody, uh, that we've talked about, I think, period, maybe not period, but what do you mean? He's got next year. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's not the most controllable guy. Brian Reynolds is more controllable. So that's, that's what I was trying to get at is who was more controllable. So, uh, Happ has this year and next year. He's had a fantastic 2020. Um, absolutely 2022. phenomenal 2020, actually. And 2022, he's been... No, I'm talking 2020. Why are you talking about 2020? Uh, because I was going to say, in 2021, he was kind of underwhelming. But he's found it again here in 2022. And he's hitting 283, 382, 460. Um, and with eight home runs. And he's making that 2020 look... If not normal, it makes it look pedestrian. Yeah. And like the 2020, I will say about the 2021 season, the overall numbers don't look amazing. But if you look at the last two months of the season, he was just on fire and he's just carried that over into this season. So, okay. So it's like he changed something mechanically unintentionally, righted it. And now he's back to, back to where he should be. Yeah. So I think we've seen a lot more good than bad over the last like three seasons from Hap. And also, his strikeout rate is down by 10%. That's the biggest thing from this year, yeah. So, so. he's a very, could be a really valuable outfielder. Um, I don't, I can't think of any other outfielders other than maybe Reynolds, who is better that we've talked about so far. Yeah, and Hap definitely seems like he would be a little bit more affordable because he has that um, that less control. Um or fewer years of control, I guess is the way to say that. Um, so it, he definitely seems the more attainable outfielder, um, especially with the Cubs, the way they're looking right now. Like I, I'm still really confused because like, they don't look like they're going to be competitive soon yet. If they were competitive, I wouldn't be surprised. I yeah, guess it's, is kind of where I'm at. Definitely things could come together really quickly for them. And it's been weird that they've been so bad because of some of the things that actually have gone well for them. Like Hap's played really well. Contreras has played really well. Um, you kind of have steps from guys like Patrick Wisdom, Nico Horner, um, then like some random breakouts like Christopher Morell. So a, a whole bunch of stuff has gone right for them, yet they're still not anywhere close to being competitive. And that's mostly because they're pitching and all their guys have been hurt most of the year. So. It's yeah. it's been a very weird situation. If they do trade half, they're kind of signaling that the next year is not going to be so competitive either. Yeah, like so. you could trade Willie and it it's not great, but that's more a sign that maybe Willie said he wasn't going to sign back. Who knows? But if you trade half, it's kind of a 
it's the flag pointing the ship almost. Yep. So. Yeah. So, uh, anything else on the Cubs? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. So do you have any uh, honorable mentions of the NL East that you want to talk yeah, about? I know I, we didn't really have. I forgot to put the Nationals on the list, but they got to be there because they're in last place right now. And they've got a really hot Josh Bell, who's been Ooh, fantastic this one. season. And he is probably he's better than like a, a Trey Mancini, in my opinion, as a as a first base option. So he's, so a guy he's that younger hit, too, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. So Bell's having a good year. I don't know if any other guys on their team would really draw much interest because Nelson Cruz Strasburg? hasn't been that great. What? Strasburg, Strasburg? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure people will be wanting to take that contract on. Um, yeah, so Josh Bell, he'll be on the yeah. move. Cool. So, yeah, that's a, a lot of guys on a lot of teams here that could potentially be on the move, but really – any of these guys, if your team is able to pick them up, I'd be pretty happy with it. There, there's maybe one or two that we've mentioned that maybe I wouldn't be so happy with. But uh, for the most part, these are all really good guys on just unfortunately non-contending teams. And so I would expect a decent amount of them to move at the deadline. Um, but yeah, so we'll see which, uh, which players coming to a team near you. So... Uh, thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure to like, uh, and subscribe on YouTube, your favorite podcasting app. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, TikTok at getaway day pod. Uh, I did post a baseball card video, uh, this morning on the YouTube channel of 2021 tops platinum anniversary, which came out last week, even though it's a 2021 product. That was awesome. Uh, I pulled a lot of hits that I was not expecting. I was supposed to get one auto out of both boxes. I did only get one out of, or, sorry, one auto out of each box. I did only get the one auto out of each, but I pulled four cards numbered out of 70 or less in two boxes, which was insane. So go check that out. Um, Check out the podcast in other locations or other episodes if you have not already. And I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Got anything else, Gotham? Nope, that's it. You heard the man. That's it. Get on out of here. Come back next Wednesday and we will have a fantastic time.